Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. to get something to write with, something to write on. I don't mind if you have your smartphone. Uh, I would prefer that you're not scrolling Facebook or shopping on Amazon or something. But if you want to take some notes on your smartphone, I get that. But listen to me, you're, you're going to want to grab some things today because what we're studying, listen to me, I'm telling you, will save your life. I, I, I don't say that about every series. But I'm telling you, this one is so, so relevant and so foundational. This is going to save your life. For some of you, I'm, we're gonna, the, the, the Holy Spirit is walking you through some things that's going to save your marriage. It's going to save your children. I'm telling you, we're in some precarious days, but we're not here by accident. And the Bible says we're not here to be caught up in fear or insecurity. You were born for this day. God knew exactly when you were going to be on the earth, and you were on the earth right now in this crazy chaotic time so that God can work in you and through you and you can live a victorious life. And this is what the word of God promises us and we've been studying this. In fact, we're seven lessons in. This is week number seven and we're going to just a few more to number 10, but we're seven weeks into a series that's called Under Contract. And we've been really digging in and studying what does it mean when the Bible says we have a covenant with God through Jesus Christ. We can say it religiously. We can say it just kind of broad and, you know, gain some inspiration from it. But the Bible was written not just as a love letter from God, but as a legal document so that you and I can take what rightfully belongs to us by the authority and the promise of the word of God, and we can go and we can live a victorious life the way the Bible promises we could. But it's not automatic. It's something that we have to engage just like any contract, any insurance policy. You can have all these benefits stacked up and you can watch all of these things happen. And if you never tap into the benefits, then you're just like people that are uninsured. But if you have great insurance and you know exactly what's promised to you, when you have something happen, you can access that benefit and you can live almost like you're bulletproof. And this is what the word of God's trying to get across to us. Many, many Christians have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and they know they're going to heaven, but they have no clue about the promises of God, the integrity of the word of God, that this is a legal document that they can take in prayer to the throne of God and watch the judge of all the earth make a decision on their behalf because of the legalities that, that have been settled in Jesus. In fact, we've been carrying this theme verse with us in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 17 says that when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. Let me just translate for those that haven't been with us. People that have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ are now legitimately part of his family. We'll study that in just a moment. And the Bible says God wanted, just wanted so bad to absolutely convince us that when he made a promise, when he said something, he's not changing his mind. There's not these little disclaimers down here that you think, ah, I thought he was going to do that. And now you find out he's not. That's not the way the word of God set up. God's a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. He's a great father. He wants us to to know we can depend on him and we can have confidence in him. And he was so passionate about this that Hebrews chapter 6 says he guaranteed it with an oath. 
Earlier in the scripture, it talked about the fact that you and I understand something. People can say all kind of flattering things and, and flowery things and, and make all kind of, you know, in the moment promises, but it's not until they put the ink on the paper and they sign a contract that all of a sudden it gets binding. And once that happens, you and I know the difference. In fact, we're reluctant to sign contracts before, wait, wait, hold on, what am I signing? What am I signing? Because we know when our signature goes down, it just got real. And this is what the Bible's telling us. God put his signature on a contract so that you and I would never, ever again, do you think God's telling the truth? It's right there. And listen, thousands of references all over the Bible that most Christians overlook. Verse 19 goes on and says, this is what we have in order uh, for us to have a sure and a steadfast anchor of our soul. What do we have? We have the word of God, which is a legal document, a legal contract. And we can go to the throne room of God and we can say, this is what the word of God says. And God with a smile on his face and said, you better believe it does. I'll make that decision on your behalf. I'm telling you that this works. It's relevant and we're going to need to understand it more and more if we're going to live a victorious life in the middle of a chaotic, crazy world. We're going to need to understand just how serious and how faithful the word of God is in in our everyday life. So last week, we learned three really important elements, and I have to quickly give them to you because we're going to build on that today. Three fundamental elements that Paul covered in Galatians chapter 3 that as Christians should be like ABCs to us. Like we should have learned them like this is kindergarten, and the rest of everything that we understand should be built on this. The first one is the Bible says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And, and that's not just talking about, you know, the, the, the law of Moses and, and those commandments in the Old Testament. It's talking on a, on a greater principle. It's talking about the consequences that came in and have infected the world by, because of sin and have infected some of us because we've sinned. All of those consequences that limit us, all those things that cause addictions and, and things to get, you know, to get stuck inside of us and rooted that we can't seem to get rid of. All those things that tell us that we're not good enough and God doesn't love us enough and we don't deserve and all those things that kind of held us down and we think, well, I wish God felt like that. I wish God would do that. All of those things that limit us, Christ redeemed us from it. He ransomed us. He completely zeroed the account. This was a legal transaction when he died on the cross. And this is why we can be completely forgiven and go to heaven. But because we're forgiven, it's not just when we get to heaven, we can enjoy some of the benefits of God here. That's what he went on to say. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law so that the blessing of Abraham could come on anyone who comes by faith. And the blessing of Abraham was a promise made in Genesis 12 that we now in the New Testament understand as salvation. Not just forgiveness of sin, I'm going to heaven, but salvation comes with a packet. Salvation comes with all kinds of benefits. It's a contract of God. If you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, all the limits and the consequences of sin that's infecting the world, you're free from that now. Now, you're still in the world, so we're going to feel all these effects, but we're not of the world. We're under a whole different contractual agreement here with God. But if you don't know that, you'll, you'll, just, you'll just surrender to, well, that's just how the world is. Yeah, but that's not how you are anymore. This is all over the Bible. And then the Bible goes on to say, so that the blessing of Abraham, the salvation package, including eternal life with God, but also including all kinds of things that we need here in order to live a victorious, confident, joy-filled life, 
All of those are benefits that, that God's given us. We'll look at those in just a little bit, once, one more time. And the Bible says that we're given this salvation packet so that, there's one more so that, so that the promise of the Spirit could come to our life. And the promise of the Spirit is, is a promise that the Holy Spirit made that He would come into our life and He would lead us into all the truth. Well, if we don't know that the truth of God's word is a legal document, if we think, well, it's kind of subjective to what mood God's in and, you know, whether I'm behaving good or behaving not, if we don't understand that, then there's no way the Holy Spirit can lead you into truth. Because who knows what the truth is? It's subjective, right? Kind of ebbs and flows on any, any given day. But the Holy Spirit's job is to come lead you into the truth, the established contractual truth of God's word so that you can build a confidence that God's faithful. And on that foundation of God's word, then the Holy Spirit will begin to customize and lead a pathway so you could actually experience everything God has for you. We're going to look at that in the word of God today. We're going to understand what exactly does that mean? But listen, if you've missed any of these lessons, I'm telling you, they're weighty. I get it. And they're meaty. I understand that. But these are the foundations that are going to teach you how to actually live a New Testament Christian life. And if you'll do these, I can promise you on the integrity of the word of God and on my, Debbie and I's having experiences over the years, this works every single time. Not once in a while, this works just the way God says it does. I can stand here and tell you by a personal experience, God is always faithful, always faithful. And I'm understanding this. So go with me now. We're going to look at Romans chapter eight, but before we get there, let me read you one passage of scripture uh, that Pastor Brandon pulled out in our teaching team meeting this past week when we were discussing this Sunday's message. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, and this is how it starts. It says, and we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. Obviously, he's talking about Christians, but he's also distinguishing there, there's a spirit, there's an approach, there, there's kind of a, you know, a, a heartbeat in the way that God moves in our life, and it's not the same as what happens in the world. Lots of Christians are doing the Sunday thing and then they're doing the rest of the week, it's the world thing, but they come back to the Sunday thing again because God's just one, comp uh, one component. But the Bible says, no, no, no. Either you're, living, either you're living in cooperation and in harmony with what God's saying and doing, or your life is out here and you're living in cooperation and harmony, harmony with what's going to be best for you in the world system. But never confuse those two. And here's what he goes on. He says, we've received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. Why? So we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. It's exactly what we're talking about. It's exactly what we're talking about. Verse 13, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the spirit using the spirit's words. Stop. For those of you who are familiar with prophecy and the prophetic word, that's not what he's referring to here, or at least not only what he's referring to, not first and foremost. When Paul's writing these letters and he's preaching these messages, what Paul may not have known, but what we have privilege to now is Paul was verbally writing the New Testament. And so the words of the Spirit that Paul was using, that's what we have in our book right now. And this has become our scripture, our reference point. And Paul was saying, I'm not using like human wisdom to do this. I'm giving you the word of God in order for you to understand the word of God. So we're not reading a scripture and then saying, what, what do you guys think about it? This is not a democracy. This is a kingdom. 
There's a king that's in charge. And this king said, this is how it works. This is what I will do. This is what I promise. End of story. And so you and I have to, have to become tuned in to what God's saying, even if the world's saying something else. And Paul says, this is how we're explaining it. But let's go on. Verse 14, he says, but people who aren't spiritual. Now, let me just stop. He's not talking about just unsaved people. He's talking about Christians who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and kind of secured their, their spot in heaven. And then after that, they're not, they're not spiritual people anymore. They're not asking God what, what, they, what he thinks, how they should live. They just kind of, you know, live good moral lives as much as they can, but they're not spiritual. The, the New Testament paints them as religious or carnal. So they could still have accepted Jesus Christ, but their life, you can tell, is not moving in the direction that God, God moves. They're always on the other side of the fence. Or they're religious people. They're so religious and staunch about this that there's no life in it anymore. It's just about rituals. It's just about doing, you know, kind of the ceremonial things. And the Bible says that neither of those is spiritual. That's kind of fleshly or carnal. And so he says that People who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths uh, from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it for or because only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. And again, he's not talking about people that are highly prophetic or always operating in the gifts. I mean, that, that could be part of it, but he's talking about people whose hearts are humble and sensitive saying, you know what, I'm, I want to do this God's way. I want to know what does God say about this? I want the Holy Spirit to be the one leading my life and moving me along, not what I think is best, not what's popular, not what's going to be the most convenient or the most profitable right now. Holy Spirit, you tell me what we need to do. Those people whose hearts are humble and hungry for God, those are spiritual people. And, and the Bible says, this is the key right here. If you're not a spiritual person, you can look straight at a scripture and say, well, I know the Bible says that, but I don't know how in the world. And then that's it. You, you, you don't lean into that at all because that's just crazy. That, how, how in the world? That's just silly. And you'll discount it even though you're a Christian. But you'll discount what the Bible says and whether it's true now. By the way, I love talking to people like that because my first question is, if that's really how you live your life here on earth, how in the world can you be confident that you're going to heaven? You've never seen heaven. You've never been there before. You have no physical evidence to prove that there's a heaven, but you've committed your life to Jesus Christ on this one little level, and you're just assuming that when you die, one day you're going to go to this wonderful place, and all these crazy things in the Bible are actually going to be real up there, but you can't believe that they're real now. I'm telling you, the same contract that guarantees you heaven is the contract that guarantees you all these things that we're talking about, and you need them here. I could go on and on about examples as a pastor. How many people that I've stood by their deathbed, moments away from them passing on, Christians for 20, 30 years, and they pull me down close and they whisper, I'm scared. Why? Tell me what's going on. How do I know I'll go to heaven? Are you kidding me? You've been saved for 30 years. But they never built any confidence that heaven was real because they never built any confidence that God was telling the truth in any area. And so when it comes down to it, now the fortunate thing is, even if they're scared, they'll pass away and they'll go to heaven. And they'll say, whew, I'm glad, I'm glad it was actually real. But you don't have to live that way. You don't, you're not supposed to live that way in any area and we're going to see it today. All right, I ask you to turn to Romans chapter 8. You're still with me? Okay, because I just primed the pump. We haven't even got into this, to the teaching yet. 
I'm telling you, I'm serious and I'm passionate about this because this is the game-changing stuff. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church and how much offering you give. And if you don't understand the word of God and you can't build confidence and faith, then your life is vulnerable and the enemy knows it. And if he can't get you, he'll get your kids. And if he can't get your kids, he'll get your grandkids. But he's going to keep coming after you because he knows that you're vulnerable. This stuff will change your life and forever and ever will seal the plan of God so you can keep moving forward generation to generation. I'm telling you, I've watched it in other people and Debbie and I have and are living it out. And so I'm, I'm, I'm everything I can, man. I'm, I'm all into this thing to say, please help. Let, let me walk you through this. All right, Romans chapter eight. We're gonna start in verse number 14. We're gonna grab about three or four verses here. But listen to verse number 14. It says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. The first thing we wanna talk about is what does that actually mean to be led by the spirit? Because people can have all kinds of you know, ideas. Some of them are real spooky right? Like, like, I don't know, you just get up every morning and you can just feel the presence of God and your feet hardly touch the floor and you float into a time of devotion and, and the angels are singing. And that's, that's not really what the, Holy, what, what the Bible means. So we're going to talk about what does it mean to be led by the Spirit. And the first thing I want you to know is this word led in the Greek is a really important word. It's a small word, but a power pack word. It's the word ago. And the word ago carries a picture of a farmer who's leading one of his domestic animals, a cow or a goat, or, and he's leading them with a rope loosely tied around its neck, and he just keeps walking, and every once in a while he gently tugs the rope, and the animal just follows him. That gentle tug is the word ago. It means to, to be led by a gentle tug, you're the follower, and you're being led by a gentle tug, whoever's leading you. And it's, it's found a, a number of places in the Bible, but it's described a little different, but it has the same nuance. Let me give you a few of them. First, uh, First Kings chapter 19 verse 12 talks about an, an internal whisper that he, that, that he heard an internal, the prophet heard an internal whisper, something whispered to him. And it's like, you know, you just, I don't know, I just heard something on site. It's not, it's not audible, but you can just hear a, a whisper. Some, something's telling me. That's, that's the reason, that's the way we usually describe it. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, it's a clear directive. It's like, I don't know, something just told me, don't, don't do that. But here it says that the, that the word of the Lord will have a clear directive and will say, go this way or go that way, do this and do that. And sometimes we just get a clear word from him. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, it says that as believers, we have an unction from the Holy Spirit. That's talking about something that moves or motivates us. I've described it as sometimes you'll just have a little tug, like the Holy Spirit's tugging at your heart or something's just scratching at you on the inside. Like, I don't know, everything looks okay, but something just doesn't feel right. Something just doesn't seem right. Something's moving or motivating you towards something. And we're gonna see in Romans chapter eight, verse 16, uh, in just a moment, that there's, there's a, a confirming, a, confirm, a confirmation on the inside. Something that says, I don't know why, but I just know that I know that I know that that's, that's the, what I'm supposed to do. And all of these are the work of the Holy Spirit, but they're all part of that ago. And so that, that's kind of the overview of what it means. But it really gets interesting in this word because it comes with nuances and pictures of how this word plays out. And here's three helpful hints that we get. The first one, this word ago tells us that this relationship between the follower and the leader is not automatic. 
It's something that, ev- that evolves over time. There's a trust and a closeness that happens over time. So when the farmer goes to buy the goat and you know, lassoes a, a noose around its neck, it doesn't mean that the goat easily and automatically follows the farmer the first time. Because it's like, hey, what you, where are we going? Because this is where I live and you're taking me somewhere else. But over time, this, this little animal, as the farmer tugs and just walks, this animal will get to understand what the tugs mean. And, and if we're tugging in one direction, oh, you want me to go that way. If the other direction, oh, you want me to go the other way. Oh, you're going to stop now and I'm supposed to stop with you. Oh, now you're going to start working and I should pay, walking and I should pay attention and I should walk with you. It's this evolution of trusting and understanding and being able to read where the leader's taking you. That's important to understand for those that are wanting to be led by the Spirit because it's not automatic. Lots of times when you're learning to be led by the Spirit, you're like, I don't know, I, I think the Holy Spirit's trying to tell me something, but I'm not really sure that it's Him. Well, that's normal because we're growing to understand, to be confident. Oh no, I, I know when, when He's nudging me. I know when He's kind of tugging at me and scratching me. I know that's the Holy Spirit. I've followed Him long enough. So leave room for it to grow and develop and evolve. It's new at first. But as you learn to follow him, the Holy Spirit's a phenomenal leader, and he'll help you to become super confident and super comfortable. But the next part of the word ago is, is just as important and, and maybe even more challenging to us, because the word ago is the root where we get the word agony. And it talks about while this follow the leader relationship is growing, oftentimes there will be this internal conflict that happens with the follower when the leader tugs and says, we're going this way, and the follower says, I don't want to go that way. That's uncomfortable for me. Now, I was kind of hoping we'd do this over here, and there's this internal wrestling match when the Holy Spirit's trying to lead us somewhere, and we just don't want to go for a variety of reasons. Maybe we're just tired. Maybe we just don't feel like it. Maybe we just don't want to talk about that right now. It's like, I don't want to open that subject up. Maybe we have our heart set on something totally different, but the Holy Spirit's trying to lead us down a pathway that he can eventually get us there, and we just want to go straight to it. The point is, when we're learning to follow the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a lot of times the Holy Spirit will tug you. You'll, you'll feel it. You'll know something's tugging, something's moving, something's stirring, and you don't want to do it. <clears throat> and that's a decision you have to make. Whether you're going to follow the Holy Spirit or you're, you're going to have to stop and the Holy Spirit will have to, to develop some character or even bring some discipline to your life because that cooperation is essential if we're going to walk into the blessing of God. So there's the eternal, in, internal conflict. And here's the last one. I'm not a Greek scholar, but uh, I, I, in my studies, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to understand the nuances. This word ago used in this particular passage happens to be a present participle, which means this is not a one and done process. This is a step-by-step that will never, ever end. We're constantly growing. I don't care if you've been following the Holy Spirit's leadership for 40 years. There will still be times when something will tug at you and you'll be like, is is that the Holy Spirit? Because he's leading you in a different way. He's leading you to a different place. There'll be times when he'll tug at you and and you're cooperative, you're mature in this, and then he'll tug at you in in another place and you'll be like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, because we're always growing. This will always be, be the case. We can become better at it. We can become more mature, more confident. We will, but there will always be a growth as we're following the Holy Spirit. And so all of those things are involved in being led, which brings us to the reason Paul used the other word in this sentence. He said, those that are being led by the Spirit are the sons of God. 
This is another really important word that will show us something about ourselves, because this word son is the Greek word huios, and it, it, it's not talking about a brand new baby infant, but it's not talking about a fully mature adult son. It's describing this giant stage in the middle that we would call developmental. Like we would say, oh, my elementary, you know, my elementary child, and everybody would know, oh, you're talking, you know, kindergarten through, you know, fourth, fifth, fourth, fourth grade, fifth grade, somewhere on there. Or you'd say my middle schooler and people might roll, oh my gosh, I'm going to praying for you, but they understand what you mean. Or you might say my high schooler, but each of those identify a different segment of the growth and development phase as they're learning to build character and they're learning to find their own personalities and they're learning, you know, to, to discipline and, and to do the things they're supposed to do. That's what this particular word sons means. It's talking about people that are growing and maturing, not perfect, but not just kind of brand, brand new laying there and need everybody to feed them. These are people that have engaged the process. And the way that they grow is becoming, uh, is by following the Holy Spirit as he walks them through the growth and development of how to become a mature Christian. Some of you might be saying, well, okay, PG, I hear you, but I've been saved for like 30 years. Well, I'm happy about that, but that doesn't mean that you're a growing child of God. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, after Paul just completely affirms the, the Corinthian church for being this spiritual bunch, man, they, they got the gifts going, miracles are happening. You talk about a praise and worship service, these guys were off the charts. And then in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, but there is this one thing. He says, you're babies. I can't even talk to you about, about the next level stuff because I just keep having to put a bottle of milk in your mouth. You're not growing at all. You're still in the infant stage. Even though you, you've understood these things, when it came to developing the character and, and the steadfastness and, and the discipline to follow the Lord and let the Holy Spirit lead you, you're still, in the, you're still in diapers. And so it doesn't matter how long we've been saved. Some of you have, have gone through periods of life and you've been fully engaged you know, in the Word of God, following the Lord, and then something happened, life got crazy, your life got busy, and you fell off. And now you've just been doing life, still, still loving Jesus, still confessing Jesus as Lord, but you know on the inside, you're not spiritual like you used to be. You're not growing and maturing. And what the Bible's telling us, let's get back to being who we're supposed to be because God wants to mature us so he can trust us with all the blessings that already belong to us. In fact, let's go on to Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The New King James Version Bible says, you did not uh, fall into bondage again to fear. In other words, when you're growing in the things of God, your confidence in God's faithfulness and God's loving you and God's word is, is rising and becoming high. But the moment you stop following the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden you recognize on the inside your vulnerability to everything going on in the world, and now you spend a lot of time fighting fear fighting insecurity, fighting off the, the conviction or, or fighting off, you know, the things that, that is trying to get you back on course. And the Bible says, when you feel that, when you feel intimidated or you feel insecure or you feel afraid of what's going on in the world, you need to understand right away that spirit did not come from God. That's what he delivered me from. That's what it means we're redeemed from the consequences of the law. We're not under that fear, intimidation, insecurity anymore. We're not from that. We're more than conquerors in Christ. If God is for me, who can be against me? 
Nothing can separate me from the love and the commitments that God made. That's what the Holy Spirit leads us into. But the moment you begin feeling fear or insecure, you need to right away realize, okay, hold on for a second. That is not God. Nothing in there is God. The Holy Spirit will never lead me that way. And you need to recognize he's dragging me back into this slavery, to this bondage where I'm just living in constant fear and insecurity that something bad's going to happen or something good is never going to happen. None of that comes from the Lord. In fact, he goes on and he, and he says, if we keep going, he says in the same verse, the back half, he says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, as sons by whom we, uh, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now notice it says the spirit of adoption, that's a capital S. That means that the Holy Spirit is in charge of the adoption agency, the legalities that are happening in the kingdom of heaven. And he's the one who is validating, it's his authority, who's confirming to you, oh no, no, listen, you're a, you're a legitimate part of God's family. You've been adopted into the family of God, so much so that you now have earned the right, you have the right as a legitimate child of God to use the term Abba Father, to come to him as your heavenly father. That's a very tender, a very intimate term, like someone calling, you know, calling their father dad or daddy, not everybody has the right to do that, but you have the legitimate right and the Holy Spirit will confirm that. I got to admit, years and years ago when I first read this, I was very confused because I thought, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean I'm adopted? Because Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, I was born into the family of God. I am legitimately part of God's family. And now Paul's saying that there's an adoption agency and the Holy Spirit is the head of that agency. And he's confirming to me, oh no, you're adopted. Well, which one is it? Am I adopted or am I born into the family of God? And let me tell you what I discovered as I was studying the reason Paul shifted terms. Because Paul, in, in, the, to, in his letters to the Corinthians, he talks about the fact that we're born into God. That we're a brand new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And so it's not an unfamiliar term to him. But he shifted because he's talking to the Romans. And in Roman law, a, a biological father could more easily disown his biological son than he could an adopted son. Because in Roman law, adoption was so serious because you got to choose to invite that person into your family as one of your children. And if you chose to do that and you signed those legal documents, you could never turn around and nullify that. You could never disown them in the inheritance. You chose them as your son. They weren't just biologically born to you. And so you could, you could disown your biological son and cut him out of the will, but you could never disown your adopted child. They were forever a part of the inheritance. You couldn't change that. The law bound you to that. And Paul's trying to emphasize here, not just that we're part of the family of God, but he's trying to emphasize all the legalities that say we are part of the family of God by a legal document of inheritance. God couldn't change his mind if he wanted to. It's, he's legally bound now to do what the Bible says. Now, he won't change his mind because John 3.16 says he loves, loves, loves us. That's why the whole thing started. But he went on and signed a contract, and Paul calls it a legal adoption here. And the Bible says we're not just born into new life in Christ. We are. 
But he went ahead and went an extra step and he signed legal papers to adopt us so that we could never be disowned in this inheritance. This inheritance belongs to us. And that's why Romans 8.16 keeps going and says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we legitimately are the children of God. In fact, the Phillips translation says, the spirit himself endorses. He's the one that endorses our inward conviction that we really are legitimate children of God. This is official. This is legal in heaven. This is not God saying, well, yeah, I don't know. No, no, no. We are officially children of God. Let's keep going. Verse 17. And if we're children, then legally, legitimately, we're heirs. Can't be changed. God sealed it in a contract. He did it. That's what he wanted to do. And the Holy Spirit's in charge of the agency who watches over this. He said, if we're children, then we're heirs. We're not only heirs of God, we're fellow heirs with Christ. Now listen to this. Provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Now, that phrase, suffer with him, is another really interesting phrase. Let me tell you what it's not talking about. It's not talking about death on the cross or any kind of physical behavior like that. Jesus settled that once and for all. Hebrews 10, 14 says, with one sacrifice, he perfected this whole thing forever. And now we're in the process of growing up or being made holy. But he perfected that part. So he's not talking about death on the cross. This particular Greek word is, is a really interesting word because it describes the internal pressures, mental, emotional, sometimes there's a spiritual wrestling match, but it can even have physical effects if the pressure's intense enough, and it comes with disciplining yourself to follow the Holy Spirit's lead. So there's times the Holy Spirit wants you to do something, you're like, I don't want to do it. No. And you'll fight and you'll wrestle internally, man. You're just going through. You're anguished about it. Not, listen, you're not the only one. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 says that although Jesus was a legitimate son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. See, Christians don't understand. They think, well, no, that, that was automatic, right? He, that's one of the perks of being the son of God. He never had a bad thought. He never had a bad you know, motivation. Never had, he just woke up every morning and the birds greeted him and he just kind of floated with God all day long. No, no, no. He emptied himself of all those divine privileges and he came to earth just like you and I, but he submitted himself to God and he walked with God and he learned how to access the things that God had promised by the things that he suffered. The agony of following the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit said, go this way, and he didn't want to go that way, but he did it anyway because that's what the Holy Spirit said. Now listen, you're like, well, how do you know? Do you have scripture? We have a phenomenal passage that shows up in the Gospels. It comes all the way at the end in the Garden of Gethsemane just before Jesus is going to the cross, and Jesus spent three hours begging his heavenly Father, please don't make me do this. Please. The Bible says he cried until the pressure was so intense that it burst little blood vessels in, in, his, in his body and he began to sweat blood from his sweat glands. There was such internal pressure and, and three times he's begging, please, please don't make me do this. Please, if there's any other way. But Jesus came back every time and said, but nevertheless, if this is what you're telling me to do, I'll do it. And he did. Same thing we have to walk through because following the Holy Spirit's not automatic. Sometimes it's not easy. Let me tell you one of the hardest wrestling matches that I've walked through and I've watched Christians walk through is not when God's trying to force you to not do something you want to do. One of the hardest ones is when God's, the Holy Spirit's trying to convince you of something that God already did that you don't think you deserve. 
He's trying to convince you of the goodness of the mercy and the grace of God. He's trying to convince you of that promised benefit that you desperately need and you're praying for, but as the Holy Spirit's leading you and you keep thinking, yeah, but, but I, I just don't measure. I, I just don't, I, I don't think I'm good enough for that. That's one of the hardest things for the Holy Spirit to convince you that God really does love you, that God really does want to do something wonderful. That's hard. Because we don't like the agony part. What we want to do is be in a great praise and worship service or come up here and have somebody pray for us and bam, something changes and we get home and life is wonderful and the birds are singing and there's a pile of money in our driveway. That's what we want. But if we did it that way, then we would never experience the growing and the maturity and the development so we could become adult people of God and we could then begin to walk victorious. It's the same reason why, uh, you know, my little grandkids love to jump in my lap when I'm sitting in the car and they'll grab the steering wheel and they're pretending like I'm, you know, I'm driving the car and I don't say to them, well, hey, you love it so much, here's the keys. Because I know they've got some growing and some maturing and some understanding that they have to before they're going to get to even try to test drive mom and dad's car, not grandpa's car, mom and dad's car. And the Holy Spirit's the same way. Yeah, we'd like it instantly right now, but he's like, listen, I want to give it to you. It belongs to you, but I need you to listen to me because we're going to grow you up so that you won't get hurt and you won't hurt other people with the things of God. It'll be a blessing to you, not something that'll derail you. And this is really important. This all has to do with us following the leading of the Holy Spirit. All right. So we've talked about then what it means to be led. How, how is that being led? Let's talk about what pathway the Holy Spirit's going to lead you on, because this is another great indicator as to whether or not we're following the Holy Spirit. A couple of passages we've already studied. In John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he said to his disciples, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into all the truth. One chapter later, Jesus is all by himself, and he's praying for his disciples, and he prayed this to the Father, sanctify them through the truth, your word is the truth. And so we find out that the Holy Spirit's job to lead us into the truth is going to be to lead us into the word of God, what we have now accessible in in our written Bibles. He's going to lead us straight into the word of God. Let me just say this as clear as I know how. The Holy Spirit will never, ever, ever lead you contrary to the scriptures, ever, ever. I can't tell you how many people I've had to come, hey, I think the Holy Spirit's telling me, and I'll listen to them saying, he's not telling you that. How do you know? Because the Bible says something different. I had a guy come to my office one time, and, and he, he was so convinced that the Lord was promising him that he was going to marry this certain individual. And I said, that is not God. How do you know? Because she's already married. And the Bible said, yeah, but the Lord said to me, that, listen, that's not the Lord talking to you, I promise you. Because the scriptures is really clear right here. And we wrestled around with this over and over and over again. But the Bible says the word of God or the Holy Spirit is always going to lead us to the word. And when this comes to this covenant that we've been studying last week, we discovered that God's promises unfold to us in two different layers. There's the general promises. These are the ones that are written and established. This is what God says my heart is for you. You can, de- you can depend on it. I'll never change my mind. And the Holy Spirit will first lead you to these general promises so you're not, you know, insecure. Well, do you think God wants to help me or not? Well, you can open the Bible and God says, I want to help you there. Okay, and now now my confidence, I know God wants to help me. And now the Holy Spirit then will lead me into other promises that are more specific. They come with these if-then clauses. 
Because, for example, God wants to be your provider abundantly, generously. These are general promises. God never changes his mind. He loves his children. It blesses him to give his resource to his children. However, there's a number of if-then conditions that will safeguard his children so that the resource won't ruin them. For example, the Bible says if you want to experience the blessing of the Lord, you first have to learn to give back to God what belongs to God. And if you won't do that, if you're going to keep it all to yourself, well, then the Holy Spirit's going to stop right there and say, well, until we can get this worked out, I can't wave you on and lead you into the blessing of the Lord because this will ruin you. This won't help you. And on and on and on. So there's a number of promises the Holy Spirit will, will, will lead you there. Let me give you some example in Scripture so you don't think I'm making this up. Psalm 119 verse 105 says this. David writes, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And we can read that quickly and say, okay, yeah, so the word of God is what gives us direction. Yes, but it just told you how if you're paying attention. The word of God is a lamp unto my feet. Now you have to picture we're walking in the woods in the middle of the night. It's a dark night. There's no lights out here. And you've got a little flashlight and you shine it right down to your feet to make sure you're not going to step on a rock or off a cliff or in a hole and step by step. And every time you take a step, the light moves with you so you can see the next step. That's how the word of God works. It will illuminate you step by step by step. This is how the Holy Spirit leads. But it also went on and said, it's a light to my path. In other words, as you're walking and you're following the Lord, then the Holy Spirit will move the light and you can see the direction that you're going in the path but you can't keep the light there or else you'll trip on this. So it, I can see the direction. I know where God's taken me. Now I come back and I'm just looking at step by step. Now that's not just a single incident. Let me show you how the book of Proverbs expands on this. Listen to Proverbs 6.23. For the commandment is a lamp. So the commandments of God says, listen to me, this is how you live step by step by step by step. Let me just go out on a limb as a pastor because I love you so much and I can see what's going on in the culture. One of the top commandments is honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. This is one of the ones that Christians are violating more and more and more every day in this country. I'm not trying to be, put condemnation on anybody. I'm really not. But the commandment of the Lord is clear. You want to know how to walk with God? You do not dishonor that, that Sabbath, that Sunday. That belongs to the Lord. And you make sure you carve that out for him. And you make sure that's a priority. Doesn't mean you can never miss church. I'm not being legalistic. I'm saying it has to be a principled priority. Not because the pastor thinks it's cool or we enjoy the church. Because God said the commandment is what lights your path. It's what it creates a lamp to your feet. If you say, here's what I do know. That Sundays for us are sacred. We're going to be really careful to guard those because those belong to the Lord. And that's, see, that's a commandment. But notice this. It says, and teaching is a light. So when you begin to understand, well, why does, why does that belong to the Lord? Why did God say we're supposed to do that? Why, how come every Sabbath? And, and how come not every day? How come not every other Sabbath? How come not once a month? And why did God say that? As you begin to understand that, you understand why God said it. And it illuminates something about the heart of God and the direction that he's trying to get your life to go. So this is really important. Those two things are exactly what Psalm 119, 105 said. But Proverbs 6 adds one more thing. Listen to this. It says, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. In other words, the commandments are a lamp to show you how to step by step and teaching or learning about them will open up a perspective so you can see everything that God wants to do. But if you're not willing 
to be disciplined by the Holy Spirit and to walk like you're supposed to, you'll never understand the way that God wants you to live. You'll never get it. You got all the information right in front of you. You got all the opportunity, but you just won't go through the agony and the discipline of listening to the Holy Spirit. And when he says, do something, you're like, I don't want to do that. But nevertheless, if that's what you're telling me to do, then that's what I'm going to do. And this is exactly how the Bible says it unfolds. The blessing of the Lord unfolds. Now, let me show you a couple things in Psalm 103 and we're done. These are going to be quick. Okay. But they're important. Psalm 103 verse one says, bless the Lord, O my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The word bless is really important. It doesn't mean just show up on Sunday and sing the worship songs and maybe raise your hand every once in a while. The word bless is the Hebrew word Barak. And it literally means to worship or to adore, but it comes with a posture. It, it means to worship and adore to the point that internally and sometimes externally, you are bowing your life down and you're kissing the hand of the king. It's what happens when you're in the presence of someone who's a powerful person in authority. In this case, it's God, the God of the universe. And you don't just come and say nice things. Oh, you're awesome. You're cool. Yeah, I've heard about you. You're wonderful. Listen, you come and you recognize the authority that's there. And the Bible says that you bow your heart. You bow your knee. Sometimes you lay prostrate on the ground to show this king, I'm in full submission to you. That's why the Bible says, with all that is within me, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and then he'll direct your path because you're in the right position because you recognize that you're submitted to God. You need him. You're desperate for him. So when it says bless the Lord, we don't come into the sanctuary and just sing spiritual songs, but we sing those songs while humbling our heart and lifting, lifting our heart and our, sometimes our hands and saying, God, I'm totally submitted to you. This is who you are. You're the king. I'm not. I need you. It's submitted to your heart. And he says, bless his holy name. That's a Hebrew word that means separate, uh, set apart. So you can't just say, well, let me tell you what makes my life go. You know, there's God. And then I've got this really cool set of books that I read. And and then, you know, I'm, I'm into health. And no, no, God's in a completely different category. His name is holy, is spotless. There's no blemish. It's pure. It's sacred. It's sanctity. All of those words describe this word holy. It means when we come to God, we realize we're talking to the God, the one and only God who created and owns everything. It's not even close to anything else in our life. This is why the Sabbath becomes holy and we come to worship him. But let's go on. And it's really interesting because it says the reason that the reason that we do this or that says what to do. Verse number two, bless the Lord, O my soul. That's what to do. But the rest of the verse tells us how to do it. And it's, it's simple. You don't have to be like a theologian. It says, and forget not all of his benefits. And the word benefit there is, is implied that this is ex- someone's extending goodwill, but not just because they feel like it. This is extending goodwill to follow through on something that was already promised. This was a benefit that you were expecting because it was contractually promised to you. And the Bible says the way that we posture ourselves in honor and submission to God is by engaging or activating our memory to never forget what he paid for, the contract that he signed, and all of the benefits that belong to us. Now, verses three through five walks you through five key benefits, and I'll point you in the right direction at the end of the teaching. We're not going to talk about them, but I want to keep going 
uh, I want to keep going and I want to look at verse number six, but let me just stop and say this. There's a lot of Christians that even if they can get a hold of the benefits, they just assume they're one and done, right? So God did a wonderful thing for me. And then you feel like, yeah, but you know, I've kind of used up my, 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 bon- my points, right? So I can't come to God for a while. But I want you to understand the Bible says in Psalm, uh, Psalm 68, verse 19, it says, blessed be the Lord, listen to this, who daily loads us with benefits. Daily loads us with benefits. The God of our salvation. And then it says, Selah. In other words, don't keep reading. Don't, don't go on. Stop. Let that soak in. Understand what that really means. That every single day, God, God shows up with a fresh supply. Every single day, the Holy Spirit says, I don't care if God did a miracle for you yesterday. He'll do another one the day after. And the day after, for as long as it takes, God will do miraculous things in order to demonstrate to you that he's faithful to do what he promised he would do. And we have to begin to understand that. Uh, I, I, I'm pressing my time here, but let me just say this real quick. Uh, Psalm 103 has been one of those prayer paths that the Holy Spirit taught me years, decades ago. And I've been walking this, I want to say every day, but sometimes it's a couple times a week, not every day. But it's one of my favorite prayer paths to walk down. And I'll begin and I'll just say, Lord, I just want to bless you this morning. I just want to thank you that you're my God that for, the, for the wonderful thing that Jesus did. And the only reason I can come into your courts is because of what Jesus did. It's based on his blood for me. I want to thank you for that. And, and then I say, Holy Spirit, walk with me now. And help me to begin to understand all of the benefits that, that are available to me today. Now, let me tell you what, how, how the picture's developed in my mind. I don't actually like, you know, go through and rehearse this, but it's kind of a picture in my mind. It's like every morning I pull up to the spiritual Sam's Club. And I get out my little card, and as I walk in, I show, hey, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm righteous, I've been forgiven. And then I grab one of those buggies and I say, Holy Spirit, walk with me. And I, whether I need it or not, I walk down every aisle. Lord, you said you forgave all of my sins, and so I walk down the righteousness aisle. And I'm realizing, wow, not only did you forgive my sin, but that qualifies me. Lord, I, I want to be more conscious of what righteously belongs to me now and who I am in Christ than I am who I'm not because I'm still growing and working on that. And so I just walk in the Holy Spirit, so hey, hey check that out over there. And, and it, he'll just remind me of things and I'll walk. And then I turn the corner and the Bible says, who heals all my diseases? And I walk down the healing aisle. Hey, Lord, I feel pretty good today. I don't think I have any aches or pains or anything, but, uh, but talk to me about healing. And we just start looking. And there, there's times when the Holy Spirit say, hey, I want you to put that in your buggy right here. Grab, grab that promise and put that in your buggy. Yeah, but I don't really need that. Yeah, but you're gonna. Go ahead and put that in, in, the, in the buggy. Make, make sure it gets on your shelf. Make sure it gets on your shelf because you're going to need that and you want, I want it to be accessible. I already want it to be down in you. I walk through every one of these five benefits. takes me as little as 10 minutes. Sometimes it'll take me an hour because I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not me just running down the aisle and grabbing stuff. That's not it. It's me reminding myself the reason that I know that this is a faithful God is because he's contractually set all these benefits up for me and I can walk through the word of God and I can say, wow, I sure could need that in the Holy Spirit. So grab one. In fact, go ahead and grab two of them. There's no limit. Grab two. I'm telling you, this is exactly how it works. And and when you begin to look at those promises, those benefits in Psalm 3 through 5, and you start exploring the word of God and realize thousands and thousands and thousands of times, God said it over and over and over again. The shelves are fully stocked with all kind of wonderful benefits that already belong to you because Jesus paid for them. 
and you're just not shopping. We're just, we're just not walking through because we're not reminding ourselves this belongs to me. Okay, let me quickly move to verse 6. We're in Psalm 103. It says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. That word oppressed is a Hebrew word that means if, you're, if you've been defrauded, if you're being violated, uh, exploited by, by the effects of sin. Because remember, if you're a Christian, you've been redeemed from that. Jesus took that, that consequence for you. You don't have to take it. But here comes sin in, and it's trying to impre- impose all this stuff on you. And we have a right to go to the Lord and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're the judge of all the earth. And according to the contract signed in blood, I've been redeemed from the curse, and I received all the blessing of Abraham. Now, Holy Spirit, come lead me in this. And we quickly find out the Lord works righteousness and justice for anybody who's being un. un- justly oppressed. It doesn't mean I didn't commit sin. It means that Lord forgives me of that sin. And I'm right back in the good graces of God. I'm telling you, you want to activate the judge of the earth? Come to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 and walk into the throne room and pick up all the mercy you need and then move on and find the grace that you need because God will every single time God will work. We're going we're to study in a couple weeks a parable that Jesus did about an unjust judge and the whole reason he did it, most Christians just completely overlook it, but the whole reason he did it, one of the main reasons was to show you God's not unjust. He quickly responds to his people. When you come and you say, hey, listen, this is what Jesus paid for. I don't have to live under that consequences. The God of the earth slams his gavel down and says, you're right. And God begins to move on your behalf because this is the God who works righteousness and justice for anyone who's oppressed. Last verse recovering, verse number seven. He made known his ways unto Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The word ways here is literally talking about a path, but when you're applying it to a relationship, it's talking about the way that a person thinks and moves and what characterizes them. And the Bible says because Moses' heart was yielded to God, God showed him, listen, this is who I am. This is how I think. This is what I'm committing to with all of my heart. But I want you to notice it went on and said, but he showed his acts to the children of Israel. Because the children of Israel demonstrated over and over and over again, they wanted all the stuff, but they didn't want to submit their heart to God. And because of that, God wasn't able to show them his heart. God could only show them his power, his muscle. And so here was the result. The children children of Israel knew what God could do, but Moses knew what God would do every single time. They knew what God could do, but they weren't sure whether he'd do it for them or not. And Moses said, not only can he do it, I'm absolutely convinced that he will do it. And he'll do it over and over and over and over and over again. Because Moses knew something about the heart. This is what it means to be led by the Spirit. It's not spooky and, you know, we can get some spiritual experiences. But fundamentally from the Word of God... The Holy Spirit leads us right back to the word to build confidence. This is what God's already promised. You never have to worry. never have to wonder about that. That's an established legal promise. God's not going to change his mind. You're a child by birth. You're an adopted child. That inheritance belongs to you. You can go in there and say, well, here's what I know from the get-go. God will do this for me. And then you move on, Holy Spirit, now lead me. And the Holy Spirit begins to lead you and says, okay, in order for God to do that, here's something I need, I need to, to, to adjust in your life. I've told you guys before, we were young in ministry, and I was begging God for finances because we were just living on peanuts. And I knew God, God was trying to, you know, to, to teach us something about believing him. And we're, you know, for finances, and God kept talking to me about budget. 
And I'm like, you're not understanding what I'm saying. I need money. I need money. And the Holy Spirit kept talking to me about budget. And finally, one day it clicked. Oh, maybe if I'll listen to him in my budget, then God can trust me with more money. And that's exactly what happened over and over and over and over again. When we're led by the Spirit, it's not fun. It's not automatic. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's always leading us into the goodness and to the wonderfulness of what already belongs to us as children of a living God. I have two advantages that you can take it, uh, you, you can uh, jump into if you want to in your study notebook because we didn't have time to go through those benefits. You've got a little extra workbook section and I took scripture by scripture, benefit by benefit, and I spelled out what that means in the Bible and what that practically means for you and I, what, what we should be thinking about and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead in so you've got that benefit. The other thing we've got for some of you that have never seen this before or don't have one, uh, we've got a quantity available of God's promise books. I think they're five bucks or something like that out there. But this is not commentary. This is not teaching. This is just someone who's gone through the word of God with all of these relevant areas of life and have grabbed scriptures in collection. So I keep using provision, but if you need financial provision, there's a section in here that grabs all the promises of God and groups them together. These are all the things that God promised, at least a number of them, maybe not not exhaustive, but a number of them that God promised about finances. And so you and I have the opportunity to to read through there and let the Holy Spirit say, okay, I'm going to talk to you about that one right there. Super great resource. I've been doing this for 30-something years. I still use this on a very regular basis to refresh myself and remind myself all of the things that God said. Because as I remind myself who God is, then it builds my confidence. Well, then go to Him. and Let Him bring justice. Let Him do what He promised He would do. And the Holy Spirit begins to lead me. Hope you've been blessed by God's Word this morning. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.